Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. We're so glad to be able to bring a small portion of our community to you through this medium and hope that you'll join us in our endeavor to embolden one another to change the world by effectively representing Jesus Christ. If you would like to know more about who we are as a community, as well as when and where we meet, you can visit us online at thegenesisstory.com. Also, if you have benefited from this podcast in any way or would like to participate in what we're doing here at Genesis, would you consider partnering with us by donating online again at www.thegenesisstory.com. There you can select the giving tab and how you would like to contribute to the general fund or even to the building fund. Remember, we can do more together than we can ever do alone. Thanks for taking the time to be with us. God bless. Um, We are continuing part six, I believe, in parables. Uh, We're going to be in Matthew chapter 13, and we're going to be looking at the parables from verse 44 down to 52. Uh, But let's pause, let's pray, and then we'll get started. Lord, these words of yours are so filled with... uh, Meaning, sometimes it's difficult to grasp all that is in there. But Lord, we want to. We want to be enlightened. We want to be inspired. We want to have understanding of what you are talking about. And so I pray, God, that as we go through these verses, that you would help us to understand what it is not only you were saying to your disciples and to those that you were speaking with, but to us today how we can take hold of these things and put them in our lives and allow them to have meaning for us as well. Uh, We are grateful for our time together. Do you pray you would bless and nourish our community here tonight. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. So let's start with... Whoops. Got the wrong verse here. Give me just a second to open up Matthew chapter 13, and we'll start at verse 44. I'm in Luke, wrong one, Matthew. Okay. Starting at verse 44. Bless you. Chapter 13. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Those are the two main parables that we're going to be looking at. But I believe the next one is connected to it. And so we're going to move into that too in verse 47. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. 
When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad, so it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And as I've been saying that when we look at the parables, there is usually something that we have to read that connects us to the theme or idea that Jesus is talking about. That he's either talking to the Pharisees, something happens, and then he breaks out in parable, right? He breaks out and starts talking about something, and it is to bring light to what he had just encountered with the Pharisees or something like that. And so in this parable, I believe that the connecting verse actually takes place at the end. In verse 53... It says, when Jesus had finished these parables, he went, wait a second, where am I? Yeah, he went away from there and coming to his hometown, he taught them. Wait a second, wait a second. No, verse 51, that's where we're at. Not verse 53, 51. I'm saying, that's not it. Um, Have you understood these things? They said to him, yes. I wish they would have said no. Because then we could have more explanation of them. But they said yes. Did they? I don't know. But they said yes. And he said to them, and this is what I believe is the connecting verse. Therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. And I believe that is the connecting verse here. A scribe who is part of the kingdom is going to bring out what is new as well as treasures that are old. Now, as Jesus is telling these parables, he kind of gives some things that to me are very highlighted. They're kind of like the feature presentation or, you know, the, um, what do you call it when you have an event, a headline, right? You have an, a headline who's the draw, And this person is going to bring someone in. We went to an event last night in Pomona that Brian puts on. And it's like the headline was this one uh, lady who sang on The Voice. But everyone was so good. It was almost like, well, I think that could have been a headline too. And, And you find out that they're all really good in these stories. But these first two about the treasure and about the pearl are kind of really headlines in this. And then he brings other things out that help us understand things a little bit more. The new things, the extraordinary things, the brand new vision that the kingdom of heaven is bringing is really paramount in what he's talking about here. And so as he says again in there about the kingdom of heaven is like this treasure Right? It's like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then his joy goes and sells all that he has. And it's like this pearl, a fine pearl. When he finds it, it has great value. I looked up to try and find out what was the most expensive car in the world. I wanted to find out. And, and in my short, not an exhaustive search, but in what I did find, the most expensive car in the world is a 1931 Bugatti Royal Kellner Coupe. It was sold for $8.7 million in 1987. 
Okay. There might be a more expensive one somewhere, but that was in my short, again, limited search. $8.7 million. And if you saw it, you would recognize it. It's this huge, long car, and it's got the driver in front with this little windshield, and behind him in an enclosed cab is where the person sits, I guess, who's special. And so you look at that and you think, $8.7 million. Just for fun, I looked and searched what was the most expensive house in Upland. And again, it was a limited search, but what I found was a five-bedroom, six-and-a-half-bath house for 8,060 square feet, and it was selling for, or the valued at, $3,868,000, right? $3,868,000. So... You could sell your Bugatti and buy two of those houses plus have enough to probably buy a Beamer, right? And we start seeing that value has really a lot into it, right? There, There is something in that car that makes it worth that much money to someone. It's more than the metal. It's more than what actually comprise the material to make that car, there is a value that's placed in it by someone who recognizes it that gives it its worth. And I think that we have to understand that, that there is value in this treasure that he's speaking about. There is value in this pearl that has to be seen in the right light. You know, this was a time before banking, And so when you had wealth, what do you do with it? Well, if you just have it in your house, someone could break in your house and take your valuables. So say you had money, you just had a lot of money that you were trying to save up so that you could give to your kids for an inheritance or you were trying to uh, save it so you could buy a plot of land. Well, you wouldn't want to keep that just somewhere where someone could easily take it. And you couldn't put it in a bank because there was no banking system. And so what they would do is usually bury it somewhere. And they would find a place, you know, third rock from the left tree over here, five paces, and you put your money there and you bury it. And then... What happens when the patriarch has a heart attack and dies, but doesn't tell anyone where the treasure is buried? No one knows. And so say you buy a field and you're plowing it one day and all of a sudden you come across this box and there it is. It's somebody's treasure. Okay. And so what they did is say, well, I'm going to buy this land so that it can all belong to me. And so this story is something that, in their time, it made a whole lot of sense. This was something that could happen. This is probably what they would, you know, talk. Imagine if I bought a land and found old man, you know, so-and-so's treasure, because they never did find that. He died, and they've never found where he buried all his stuff. Right? Well, that's the kind of thing that they're talking about. And then this idea of a pearl. You know... We don't see the value of pearls because we now manufacture them because we can place an irritant, 
you know, in the clam and now we can develop pearls. But at that time, it was not that popular and it was not that easy. And so for pearls to be found that were of good size and value, they were extremely rare. And then Pliny, one of the historians, as he was writing about this, said that actually there was a general in the Roman military who sold one of his mother's earrings that was a pearl and financed his war with that single earring. I know, it's like, man, we could be so wealthy back then, right? And the pair of those earrings, Pliny said, both of them is worth like 1,875,000 ounces of fine silver, which relatively would be $30 million today. That's for a set of pearls at that time. And so just to give an understanding of what he's talking about when you find a pearl of great value, we think, oh, pearl, great value. Yeah, I don't know how great of a value is a pearl. $30 million worth, okay? That's the idea here. And so we're talking about things that are just very exorbitant in there. And so the gospel of the kingdom is really something that is pretty intensive. The old things are the wisdom from all the Hebrew scriptures. It's all the things that God has been foretelling about Christ. It is all the things that God has intended to happen through his nation of Israel and ultimately through the Messiah that's taking place. And it's also bringing the new things that Jesus is proclaiming and it is marrying them together, especially in Matthew's gospel. Matthew's gospel is directed very directly to the Jewish people. And so there we, we have a lot of things that are helping the Jewish people see the lineage of Jesus, that he is the Messiah, addressing things in a way that helps the Jewish people connect what Jesus is doing to the old scriptures. And so here in this parable, we see Jesus is really bringing these old things here, as he talks about in that verse, and bringing the new things of the kingdom and helping them to understand how they go together. The gospel he brings, the Matthew is concerned about telling, consists of bringing those two, rooted in the deep traditions of the old, allowing the old to come to fresh and exciting expression here in the new. And so that's what we want to see taking place as these things take place. And so the treasure and the pearl, what are they? Now, a lot of people that I've read have said, well, we are the treasure. We are the pearl that Christ gave everything for us. But in light of really what is being said in the latter part of that verse, every teacher of the law has become a disciple of the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of the storerooms new treasure as well as old I think he's pointing to something else. And I think the treasure that he's talking about is in fact the kingdom of God. And if that's so, then there's a, a decision that we have to kind of make here. Is the kingdom of God of this kind of value? 
Remember when Jesus had told people that they must, you know, uh, leave father, mother, sister, brother, if they want to be part of his kingdom. And then Peter asked in verse 27 of Matthew 19, we have left everything to follow you. What then will be for us? And Jesus' response to him says, truly, I tell you, at the renewal of things, when the Son of Man sits on the glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and last will be first. And so he seems to be saying this kingdom of God is going to be more than anything you could imagine. It is wealth multiplied. In fact, it is life eternal. And so I believe that when Jesus is telling these parables, he is describing what it is like to find the kingdom of heaven. Now, some complain, well, you don't search for the kingdom of heaven. You know, it's God searching for us. But remember, parables aren't supposed to be taken in a so literal a sense that we lose the disrupting fact of it. And the disrupting fact of it is that all the things that you have maybe been living for in your religious beliefs, in your holding on to traditions and not allowing what is being new brought into you, then you are going to find yourself being thrown out of the fish net. You're going to find yourself on the outskirts of what is taking place because the kingdom of God is of such value that when you find it, you sell everything else you have to get it. It is that pearl worth $30 million that whatever else you have, you sell because if I can get hold of this, then this I am set. And I really believe that that's what it's referring to, that he's saying that the kingdom of heaven is so valuable, it's worth everything you have. If that's so... If really this is what Jesus' point is, the kingdom of heaven is this treasure, the kingdom of heaven is this pearl, the kingdom of heaven is so valuable, then that's a challenge to us. And it forces us to kind of make an urgent decision. What do we do then in light of something that is of this valuable? Remember in this story, they quickly go sell these things, purchase this land. They make a decision because this is so important. If it is so important, what is the decision we have to make? How does it push us into this story? It's no longer the gospel of the kingdom is about, you know, a nice religious idea that you might explore from time to time, you know, give it a little, you know, reading every now and then, give it a, a kind of glance over, you know, pay a little homage to it by going to church on Sunday or on a Wednesday, right? It's not something that you just dedicate a little bit of your time, a little bit of your effort to. It is something that you invest your life in because it's so valuable. And when I first became a follower of Christ, 
I don't know if it's because I was young. I don't know if it was because I was very impressionable. Um, a lot of people do come to faith when they're younger, um, more so than people who are up in their years. But I remember encountering God and it being so impactful in my life that I felt that I have to give all that I have for this. I felt like for the first time in my short existence, I had meaning and purpose. I felt like the questions that haunted my soul, that literally kept me up at night, found peace in Jesus. And it became so important to me that at that early age, I decided that what I wanted to do was connect people to what I found. I wanted to be a part of what had captured me. And as time goes on, I have to challenge myself. Do I still feel that way? Is it still that important to me? Or now is it something that I do? And oh yeah, it's valuable to me. How valuable? Is it worth everything? Is it worth, you know, a job? that makes this much a year, not saying you can't have a job that makes that much a year, but what if you have that choice to to give yourself to the kingdom or to give yourself towards something else? Which one are you going to choose? How can you make the kingdom a priority in your life so that everything else Whatever value you have, you would sell, get rid of, to purchase this treasure, to own this, including all the other pearls that you've ever owned, all the other things, religious beliefs that you held on to, all the little idols that you've served, all the little sins that you've held on to, all the little things that have taken away from you being able to give fully to this. And so I believe it's challenging us in this way. And that's why at the end, when he's talking about the fishing net and taking those and throwing them out, it it seems so drastic because it's that important. It's like there are going to be people who give themselves to this and there are going to be people who do just what we've been talking about in our series on the cross, who give themselves to themselves. That autonomous way of thinking that live their life apart from God and want to live their life solely for self. And they're going to find themselves in a bad place. You know, if you walk away from truth, you live a lie. If you walk away from life, you will die. You can't detach yourself from God and not deal with the consequences of not being connected to God. Now, there's a lot involved with what that means, but there are definite consequences that Jesus is talking about here. And so the two little parables at the start of this section cut right across the idea that a fashionable, you know, in the ancient world, as well as in our time, that the different religions, different experiences they offer, they're they're all, you know, good things. They're all kind of valuable. Well, there's something that is very valuable. There is something that is really important. 
And it's more important than all the little things that we might want to hold on to if they are not connected to this one good thing. There's only one great pearl. There is only one treasure. And everything else is as nothing besides it. And so then, what is that treasure? It's the kingdom of God. Right? I mean, to put it simply, that's what it is. What is the kingdom of God? It is the expression of God taking place here, now, and forever. And so it's not about a religion. It's not about going to church. It's not about these different things that we can place. It's about what God is doing in humanity through his people. That's the kingdom of God. And that's the shock. The new thing is that this is what God is doing. The old thing was that God intended to do this through Abraham, through the children of Israel. The new thing is he's doing it through all of us who now are followers of Christ and his teachings living our lives for the kingdom and not for self. Now that's the new thing. And those two things have to go together because God has been working from the very creation to establish, even as we talked about. From Adam, the intention was that man would have dominion over the earth, that man would rule. And then man forfeited his rule, wanted to be apart from God, we shall be like God, And then we have forfeited our right or our action by worshiping the idol instead. And we've given the power over to things instead of to the creator. And the new thing is Christ has restored humanity so that we can now be a part of what God intended all along. And that's what we see taking place here the shock, the new thing. Without that, all you've got are the old things, the same old story, the half the world believed in, and some still do, right? This is how they saw it, but they didn't see what was new, what was coming, what was being done through Christ. The parables in this chapter are a challenge to us in two levels, in understanding and in action. Because understanding without action is sterile. It doesn't do anything. Understanding, but not doing, it's like James says, it's like faith without works. It's dead. And again, I think faith is talking about living a life of faith, not whether you're saved or not. And then also understanding without action is sterile, but action without understanding is exhausting. It's useless. It's zeal without knowledge. Right? You can have a lot of action, but if you don't put it in the right place, it's wrong. There are people who have a lot of enthusiasm in their work or to, you know, I, I'm real excited. I want to play guitar. But if you don't know how to play, your excitement only takes you so far. Right? And it, I really want to sing, but if you don't know how to sing, then it'll only take you so far and it'll sound terrible. And the same thing, our faith, if we don't have the understanding, if we just want to do something, want to do something, 
Well, I know in my faith, I've done as much harm sometimes as good by how I've been zealous, by how I've wanted to communicate things without a real understanding. And a lot of people I probably pushed away trying to be zealous for God, not recognizing really the heart of God or understanding the scripture. And so now it's like, oh man, all that zeal without knowledge, all that energy without understanding, all that action became something that's very difficult. Now, there is, I think, more to this too. Because if the kingdom of heaven is of such value that we would give everything to it, that we would be part of it, then Paul tells the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20, do you not know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Remember, we talked this last Sunday how the temple was the place of worship. The temple represented the presence of God and at the cross, the veil was torn. And it wasn't just that men got to now go into the holiest of holies. It's that God was unleashed on all humanity. And just like in the original temple, when Solomon dedicated it and the spirit came upon the place where the priests were overwhelmed and they could not speak, we see in the book of Acts, the second chapter, the spirit comes like a rushing wind and people now are declaring the wondrous works of God and the spirit of God is unleashed on humanity. If we are now the temple of the Holy Spirit, then we also now are a part of God's kingdom. And so there is kind of this interesting dichotomy that takes place in these small parables because it's talking about the kingdom, but then we also get to be part of the kingdom. And we get to be part of what's being talked about here, that we are not just watching it, looking at it, observing it, but we are also participating in it. And I think that's important to understand because the two things that are happening here, there's a searching for the things that are of great value. There, There is the finding those things. And then there's the participation that we get to have with it. And that, I think is seen in Philippians chapter two, verse five on, it says, in your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ. Be like Jesus, think like Jesus, who being in very nature, God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. I think when we become like Christ, we are participants in the kingdom. And now we are actually part of that treasure that is being found. 
Make no mistake, the treasure isn't just us. The treasure is what God is doing, but it's also what God is doing through us. And this is where I think we get to become lost in this. And and this is where, again, Jesus's words are meant to stir us up in a way that challenge us, that provoke us, that push us into action, that push us into responding to our role, but then envelop us in that role so that we actually become part of the good news that God is displaying to the world. What is the good news? God is reconciling humanity to himself. What are we doing? We are given the ministry of reconciliation. We are participants in this amazing work that God is doing. This is what the kingdom looks like. This is what we are involved in. This is our life. When we sell everything that we have to purchase this, it ends up becoming our life. It ends up becoming all that we have. You know, pearls were so valuable that people would sell their homes and everything so that they could purchase a pearl because it was easy to keep that couldn't be taken away that they could use to cash in for their retirement, for their children, inheritance. This is something that if I'm moving somewhere, if I'm traveling from this place to another, how am I going to take everything that I have? I can purchase a pearl. And that pearl is of such value that whenever I get to this place, I have my life savings in my hand. Crazy, huh? This becomes everything that I own. And I take it with me wherever I go. And so it becomes something that we possess, but it also comes the thing that gives value to who we are. It's the thing that gives us our purpose, gives us our value as well. And so in these two stories, we see the uncovering of the value And the third one that he talks about there, the kingdom of heavens letting down the net into the lake, hiding all kinds of fish. It's very similar to the parables that we look at with the wheat and the tares or the weeds. And, you know, we talked about just be wheat. Don't worry about those. Someone else is going to separate those things. Same thing here, right? The separation of the wicked and the righteous, throw them into that. That's how the end of the age is. The angels will come, right? Not you. You don't get to cast the feet. You know, you don't get to say you're in, you're out. That's not your call, right? It's one of those things where, you know, in every room, there's someone that, you know, is, you know, people are avoiding. And if, you know, if no one is around you, maybe it's you. You know, it's one of those things. It's like I don't get to decide who's in and who's out because maybe I'm one of those fish, right? I don't have that call. I don't get to make that. And so the same idea here is God's going to deal with those things. But what possesses us and what do we possess? What are we living our lives for and what is our life 
what's giving it value. And I think Jesus is really saying, this is an important decision. Don't take it lightly. Don't think of the kingdom of God as something you can dabble in. Don't think of faith as something that, yeah, I have my faith. Yeah, but, you know, I don't let it rule my business or I don't let it rule, you know, how I act, you know, in in my social life. Well, then you haven't sold everything to purchase it. it. It's just part of what you do, but it's not really all that you do. It doesn't consume your life. It doesn't. In other words, you still have idols. You still have something else that you're worshiping. And remember, that was the first problem. And that can be your last problem if we're not careful. Any questions on these parables or thoughts? You know what I would say, David, to you? is she doesn't need to go to church if you are church going to her. I was talking to a friend uh, who's part of the training that I've been doing, and she I met her boyfriend this last Tuesday, and she goes, yeah, you know, she goes to church, but he doesn't. And she said that when she introduced him to her pastor, he met him somewhere, and he said something like, I'll never go to bleeping church or something like that. And she yeah. goes, you don't say that to my pastor, right? And her idea is just like, you know, but you see, to him, the idea of church is foreign, not necessary, whatever the reasons are. And I just told her, I said, well, you don't need to take him to church. We just need to take church to him, right? We just need to be church for him, need to be church for her. So that she sees your good deeds and gives glory to your Father who's in heaven, right? And so we have to see that our role in this, you know, is really about bringing this to the people where they're at. And, and instead of trying to, and I know what you want to do. I know you want her to have that relationship with God. I know you want her to be connected to the Lord. But understand that that can begin without church. In fact, probably should. You know, she had, her father was a pastor. There you go. A pastor's kid, um, they go through a lot of things. I heard Ariel Astoria did a spoken word last night where we at, and I don't know if you guys remember her. She was at Grassroots a few times that we did. We did a video with her. Just amazing. And one of her spoken words speaks to all the pastor's kids who have lost Jesus and her, you know, may you find him where you're at. And it was just very touching how she expressed and how she pointed out all the pastor's kids, right? Because something happens with pastor's kids and it's happened with our kids to a large extent where they see how it affects your life in a negative way and they want nothing to do with the negatives that they see. You know, this took my dad away. This took and put pressure on me. This cause, whatever the things are, right? There's a lot of things that go on to pastors, kids, or people just in church, right? She's had some bad experiences at church. 
and most of us have, right? And so there's wounds there. And how do those wounds get healed? It's not going to be by going to church. It's going to be by encountering Jesus in people, right? I mean, and I, I hope that Genesis is that. I think we are to a lot of people. A lot of people who are at Genesis have not liked church at some point. You know, it's like, I got wounded by church. I can't tell you how many people I've had that conversation with, you know, at Genesis. That, yeah, I, I wasn't going to go to church. I've had people, you know, who said, yeah, I'll never go to church again. I'll never do that. And then they're part of our community now. Just because we're trying to make that not problem right we're not trying to demand things or, or pressure or lord over people um maybe sometimes to the extreme but um anyway i just encourage you in that way be the church for her any other thoughts or questions um chapter 13 of matthew and verses 44 through 57 55 52 Well, let's pray. Father, again, thank you for this time, for these verses, for challenging us. And I pray, Lord, that it would have sparked some seeds of thought in our hearts and our minds. Lord, that we would allow to grow, that we would allow to bring about uh, fruit for you. And I pray, Lord, you would help me And us to understand, God, that um, we don't get to decide what fish stays and what fish doesn't. Lord, we we are the people who have to decide if we are going to sell what we have to purchase what is better or not. And show us, Lord, what things we are not trading in or trading up for. What things are we neglecting to sell so that we can purchase all of what is available. And I pray that you would help us to see those things as we continue move forward in this direction, Lord, and our participants in your kingdom. And I do ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You have been listening to the Genesis Podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.